It's another edition of the Knicks Wall Podcast. Once again, Anthony Corbo not here. Some things he had to attend to. You can follow him on Twitter at Corbo Anthony. I'm Brian Giberman here with Kyle Maggio at Kyle Maggio at Brian Giberman. And make sure you follow the Knicks Wall Podcast itself at TKW Podcast and at the Knicks Wall at the Knicks Wall. Very obviously, iTunes, rate, review, subscribe. Thank you very much. Uh, Kyle, what's going on, man? Rough game today. And... I got. I gotta say, a little disappointed, considering you know the last five games have been pretty fun, bunch of wins in there. But even that loss to Cleveland was a close game. So uh, Clippers are obviously a better team, but they get you know whooped like that to start off the West Coast road trips, which never go well. Uh, really wasn't. Really was not fun. But what about you? Uh, Michigan beat Maryland. That was good. They were without their best player, and it was a road game. That was a good win. It's a good one. Or are they ranked? Part of my ignorance. Yeah, they're, they're like going to be the number two or number one team. But no, I guess I'm not supposed to talk about that. What about um, the Lakers lost to the Suns? That was interesting. Oh, they sure did. Yes. Uh, LeBron looked every bit his age. And uh, it's – I was thinking this to myself the other day. Has anybody simultaneously looked more washed while casually throwing up triple doubles, like his normal triple doubles, than LeBron, like he's he's very obviously not giving a hundred percent effort right now. Whether he still uh, has that injury that's lingering, maybe, or he just truly doesn't give a shit. Which I think it's a little of both, if we're being honest. And yet he still throws up like twenty seven nine and eight. But you click like you you could watch that twenty seven nine and eight and go, he gave sixty percent. And I feel like he's the only person who could do that. It's a very strange thing that happens with him. It, yeah, like the first year when Blatt, when he came back and Blatt was there, before he took like that week vacation to Miami, it was the same exact thing. Like He's still putting up massive stat lines, but he wasn't actually playing. Those. All right, damn it. I keep getting us off track, Kyle. I'm, I'm going to try. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do better here. The Celtics lost again. They, they did lose again. And um, isn't there a certain point guard on the team? We were keeping tabs on to some degree i mean let's do let's just mix this in right here a quick tea leaf segment what i saw some stuff on twitter but again i was wow i was paying a lot of attention to the michigan game this afternoon i that Knicks game so i went to the bar and i got both of them on tvs and before the michigan game started it was already like 18 to 7 i was like all right i'm gonna watch the decent basketball team i root for so i'm gonna that upfront and honest about that but what what happened in this in the celtics game today before and after with Kyrie? so before the game before the game he made a and there wasn't any before we get nuts here like um there wasn't anything spicy that dropped he didn't say any you know he didn't say something that was sort of ambiguous that left us to lip read for him and decide that he was saying two max spots. It's nothing like that, but there was a general like grumpiness that he's just still had uh, to this day for whatever reason. So he was walking into the arena today and as he's walking in, he, um, you know, 
cameras are just following him as that's what happens in your superstar in the NBA. And he's walking in with his, looks like a plate of food. And he just out loud to the cameras, just very tired of it, very dejected, very fed up. You could see it in his demeanor and his body language and his face. He just goes, I'm not going to miss any of this shit. Just, That's kind of a problem. There's kind of a lot of that shit when you play for the Knicks, and yep. they're going to be on TV like 45 times a year nationally. Which I, I guess that's the the kind of dude he is. It makes it seem as though this is just a general thing. Again, not, not anything with the Celtics. It's just in general he just seems grumpy about the media and grumpy about cameras and grumpy about following his every move. And uh, surely, if he comes to New York, that doesn't get better. And I, I'm a very big proponent of, I think the whole media thing is overblown. And even still, you'd have to acknowledge that in New York, especially under the circumstances that uh, have been alluded to in this uh, this upcoming summer, you know, there there would be way more coverage than he's getting in Boston. And so if this is a general thing, um, you you should be concerned. You would hope that he's not going to be grumpy uh, if we were to sign him to a five-year deal or a four-year deal, whatever we get him to. And wait, wait, hold on. I disagree. Why would we not want him to be grumpy with the beat writers? That'd be fantastic. And I guess it. Well, I guess I guess it depends. I would, it, it, they it de- might not like it. I would love it. It depends what he. It depends what he's saying. Because like, there's sometimes when he just he doesn't make sense, and I know that. I'm not trying to say like don't speak your mind. I do think I do think it's very funny when uh, we we yell at athletes for speaking their mind and then push for that at the same time. You know, like someone will be honest, and then we're like, no, not like that. Like, be honest a different way. Don't say don't say that thing, but you should always be honest, but just just a different way. So I do find it a little bit funny there, but um, I, I I don't know. I just I think it depends. Like, if he's gonna, the, I think it was last week he was going after. Like one media member in particular, I forgot who was questioning him, but about that whole video getting recorded, and he's just like, "Oh, like why do you do this? Like why do you do your job? Oh, you do it for who? You do it to cover who? Oh, you do it for the fans? Well, you know none of this matters. Like none of." And he was just getting in this big tizzy, and it's like, "Bro, like I get you might not love all the media coverage, but like you knew this was part of the job. Like you knew, like part of being able to play basketball professionally growing up is like being able to deal with the media. And I'm not saying you have to like it." And I'm not saying you, you always have to talk, but to always be angry every time you talk is just like a very weird precedent. But again, if he's in New York and we know how sometimes headlines are written or certain topics that get brought up at uh, strange times, maybe having somebody like that is good. So to your point, but I, I don't, he just seems very volatile. And also the other guy, uh, Kevin Durant. Also seems to be that way a little bit. So who really knows? But uh, all I know is talent wins out, so it's always worth the risk. It'd be it'd be funny that the team finally getting good, and then the beat just had two guys that just didn't want to deal with them at all. They get saved by some vets being around because you if you get those two guys like a veteran, you're going to get your your version of I, I don't know. Get pick a name from. Uh, who's on the cell? Who's like like Al Horford, but like an old guy, but not like that good. Just like an old guy you can go talk to, and we'll give you like how back in the day on the twelve thirteen Knicks, you had Kurt Thomas, you had Rasheed Wallace, right? You had like a good group of guys around the stars. Like you have to wait for like. Have, did you ever cover a game Mello did? Like in person? 
Yes. No. Did you ever have to like wait for him after a game? No. No. We, so we, I did. We didn't make when it. He, I never did it when he was on the Knicks, but I covered him for a game when he was on the Nuggets. And that dude, I've never seen a dude take so long to get back from the locker room. And then he gets to his locker and he just sits there. He's like putting all these different lotions on. He's just standing there taking his time. It's very funny to watch. Like I'm, I wasn't on deadline, so I didn't really care. But I could see why people on deadline be like, dude, come on, man. You're killing me. Yeah, and I do think that's – well, I don't know if that was like an outlier or not because I know a lot of the, the beat guys, like Ian Begley in particular, raves about how Melo uh, handled the media here. But um, they they seem to like him, but they also seem to like other uh, people that you may or may not like. So, so I think they liked Melo because he would always talk and he was a good quote. But based on how they would show the – when they would show – his interviews on the MSG post game, I still think he took a very long time to get ready. It's probably right. he would always be he would always be like the last one they would show after everyone else. Okay. Could be. All right, that's we that what a weird conversation. Okay, I'm sorry. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. All right, from tea leaves, we're gonna go back to the Knicks. Uh, just so you know, you can follow the Knicks wall. You got the website, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Instagram. Facebook, you can find us all there. Search the Knicks wall on any of those mediums, and it's easy to see. Um, So three players, I think. So 13 games now since the trade, as long as NBA.com is properly updated. I think we're on the same page as this here. I think there's been three clear positives in terms of who has played well since the trade, and the three guys are Mitchell Robinson, Alonzo Trier, and Damian Dotson. Yeah, I mean, 100% agree. Um, outside of, like, Dennis has had his moments, but he's generally been either, like, really tremendously impactful or just off and ill-fitting, it seems like. So, I... I it still has only been 12 games. It's with a lot of new teammates, and, you know, this isn't a very good team to begin with. So I'm still, like, the jury's still out with the Dennis stuff. But um, the, the very obvious positives are, you know, Mitchell Robinson, which goes without saying at this point. Uh, Trier is back to, like, that earlier season form that he had when he was just going nuts in November. And uh, Dotson's been really, really good since the trade. And uh, I, I do think it has something to do with Dennis, and we'll get into that. But... Um, I do find it interesting that our de- personal debate on this podcast has sort of, I, I wouldn't say it's, it's been re-sparked or anything. I do think that Mitch has pretty obviously been the better rookie now, but, um, it is interesting that after I made that claim and then Mitch started playing well, the Trier like really started going nuts again too. And, um, I do find it a little bit comforting anyway, that that's sort of a, a good thing. You know, especially when Knox is struggling. You know, that was one debate that we had, and at least both those guys are playing really well now. You know, in in light of Knox really just having the worst stretch of his early career here. Yeah, so Trier's played about twenty four minutes a game since the trade. He's shooting fifty percent from the field, forty eight percent from three on two point five attempts, and eighty five percent from the line. Like your raw stats: ten points, three rebounds, one point seven assists. Like that's not spectacular, but when that's mainly because he's not getting the raw amount of minutes. I mean, he has a 64.5 true shooting percentage. That's really good. The bench unit 
as a group has played pretty well, like the off and the off on numbers for pretty much all the bench guys. And I think that's part of um, part of that part of Trier playing as good as he is. I think it's like the guys who play with Mitch play better than the guys who don't. Trier basically avoids knocks and gets to play with Mitch, and that's a that's a uh, uh, what what word am I looking for? A recipe, yes, very simple word. A recipe for success with this Knicks roster. Well, well, they also they also just fit really well together too. You know, like their skill sets. Like I know Trier gets slammed a lot for being a black hole at times, and, and he you know he doesn't pass all the time. But when he does pass, it's almost always to Mitch. And, like, that's one read that he makes, and he makes it the right way every time, which is nice. Like, every time those two are playing, like, a two-man game or Mitch is trying to set him a screen, like, you know, and you can see it, the wheels are turning. Like, Trier's like, okay, like, as soon as he rolls, I'm going to throw this near the rim. And they've been just killing it, just killing it. For the last, better part of the last two months, they've had pretty good chemistry. But it's even better when we see it, like, today. And I think there was even, like, an inverse moment. Of that happening, where Robinson scrapped for an offensive rebound and kicked it out to Trier for a three, and normally it's the other way that they connect. So I, I do find it interesting that, like, obviously they're both rookies, but they're both playing really well, and they're both playing really well together, and they're playing really well together at the same exact time. And it's sort of like the perfect storm, and that's part of why the Knicks have been winning some games. It's it's off the backs of these kinds of efforts. Like today, Zoe had 16 points on, with four assists, very efficient, almost impossibly. Like, that's as efficient as it gets. 5 of 7 shooting from the field, 3 of 4 from the line, 3 for 3 from deep. So, I mean, that's about as if he had another one of these games, like yes. last week, where he had like 10, what was it, 10 free throws, 7 free throws? Yeah, give me a second. I'm going to his game log right now. I think he was 18 points on 5 shots last week, though. But, like, stupid. And it, 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 I'm not making a, a, a legitimate comparison at all, but it's sort of like Harden like. Or you'll look up and Harden has 30 points and he's only shot the ball 12 times. And it's from threes and free throws. And, like, it's like a very, very, very parsed down poor man's version of that. But that's that's what you want to see. You know, especially with him being, like, an older rookie. He's 22 years old. He was a four-year college player. Like, you need to see him come in and, like, have consistent impact like this. Like, that's translatable to success in the NBA. So it's not empty to me is my point, and it's encouraging. Yeah, the last five games. So he has 16 on seven shots, 22 on 15 shots, 18 on five shots, one bad game against the Spurs, nine on 10 shots, and then against the Timberwolves, 20 on 11 shots. So, I mean, he's just been – the last five games is even better than what I, we read for the last 13. So the last five is 17 on 56, 50, 88 shooting. So that's 56 from the field, 50% from three, and 89% from the free throw line. Now that's you, – you can't say anything more than that. I mean he's averaging 17 points on nine shots on ten round up to 10. Like that's fucking crazy. Yeah, he, he's been stupid good. And it, it's nice because Mitch – Mitch has his limitations offensively as we know. But like he's been effective – Lately, like he's just been rolling like a madman, trying to dunk anything that goes into the air, and that is tremendously impactful to an offense. But that's like his only way to really make that impact. It's that, and basically cleaning up offensive misses for him right now, and that's fine because when he's playing well, like he is now, you, you notice the impact and you see how well you know today you didn't 
because it is what it is. But, um, you know, seeing Trier basically come in and, and handle the load like that and, and do it without many, you know, needing many opportunities. You know, we're watching basically Moutier put up similar scoring numbers with way worse shooting numbers. You know what I mean? Like, I think Moutier had 16 today, too, if I'm not mistaken, but he did it totally different. Like, he had 16, 4, 3, and 3. Like, and I'm not going to sit here and slam him. I thought he played perfectly fine considering it was a blowout and what was happening. But, I mean, the shooting is, is 6 of 15. And he's had a bunch of games like this since returning from injury. He's just he's just a gunner. It's just who he is. He made a couple of nice 15. passes. What was that? 15.8 points, 13.6 attempts per game in the five games since he's been back. He, he just kind of is who he is. Like, like he's he's playing better than he has played in his career, but he just isn't that good. That's okay. He's improved, the, and he's still the, not that good. It, it the, the problem, this is the, this is the best way I can explain Moutier. When the most valuable skill in the NBA is being able to play effectively with the ball in your hands and be able, being able to be a focal point of a team. Moutier, what Moutier wants to do and what his skill set dictates he does is to have the ball. He needs to have the ball in his hands because what what does he do off the ball on offense? What does he do anything well? No. Does he does catch-and-shoot jumpers? I, be, I actually believe catch-and-shoot threes are his best threes that he shoots, but even then it's not like it's a it's a wild percentage higher. Yeah, I mean, he's shooting under 30% from three on the season, and I bet a decent amount of those. I, and I would I would bet that his catch-and-shoot numbers aren't where they need to be considering how open he's probably left. Does he set Does he set good screens? No. Does he cut well? No. Does he space the court? Does he move around? Does he – I mean, so there's nothing he's doing that's helping you if the ball is in, in his hands. Defensively, what's he doing? Absolutely nothing. I mean, so, t- today he had a couple steals, but you you know the, the the gist, the general point is not enough. So if if his main thing is he needs to have the ball in his hands to be successful, he can't be scoring 15, 16 points on 14 shots. or And whatever, it's probably even worse for the entire season or right around there. That's because he's not, he's doing what he does well at a below average rate. Yeah, and, and that's and then you're adding on everything else that's a negative. And that's just to me, that's not a workable NBA player. I do think I, I do think the context is important. And I know like you and I often agree on things and then split hairs about minor things, and that's what this kinda is for me. Is like I generally agree with you, but I do think like this team is generally really, really bad and his leash is super, super long and he is the greenest light. And I think if you basically put him in a more strict bench role for a better team, I think he'd be fine. I, I From what I've seen from him, I think in really limited minutes, like he could be an effective guy. But I, I don't think it's, you know, like one thing that I don't like with this podcast is like we'll say something bad about a player that's true and that we get slammed as though we hate Moutier. Do you know how enjoyable our lives would be if Moutier started playing like Steph Curry tomorrow? Like, yes, I Prove like, that. like, I would get right on the podcast and gloat about Moutier. For, can you know how many problems that would solve if all of our bad players were just suddenly good? It would be a joy. I don't care who it was. If Kadeem Allen turned into, like, Steph Tup- or anybody, you know what I mean? Like, if these guys 
took like a, a big stride and just really arrived and came out of nowhere. Like I'd love that very much. It would solve all of our problems. It would save us tons of episodes and debates and conversations about how to build this team the right way and who to sign. But that's not what's happening here. And we're rooting for that. Like I'm rooting for Rudy A to just like wake up and like turn into a generational player or a star. But like that's that's the same for everybody here. But they just aren't that. And that doesn't mean that we're slamming them or that we hate them. It's just, you know, when your point guard is shooting less than 30% for three on the year and he keeps getting called the best passer on the team, but his assist numbers are just grossly low, like, we're going to have things to say about that, especially when the team doesn't win all that often. It doesn't mean we hate anybody, but it just is what it is. The other point guard on the team is Dennis Smith Jr. And I don't – so I don't think his shot – is his shots worse than I was expecting. I think I need to say that. Second, it's not Markel Fultz broken, but he's, I mean, he's, it seems like he's changing up and fucking around with his form, like within a single game, it's, it's changing. As, as somebody that watched him in Dallas, I agree. Um, He was like earlier this year, he was doing a lot of catching and shooting with Luca when he was, like, really trying to buy in and fit with Carlisle. And whatever – I'm not going to say his jumper looked good, but whatever it was, it looked, like, at least fluid. Like, he, it looked like it was the same every time, more or less. Like, he would just catch and rip it. And I think he was shooting, like, 32 33%. Like, it wasn't great, but it was – at least he was hitting a little bit from deep, you know? He was at 34 35% before he got to New York. Okay, so, he, so even higher than – you know, and – Yeah. So it just feels like now that he's here and he has, like, the full green light – and, and, you know, the long leash, I just feel like he's trying to get it right on his own. Or I don't know if there, somebody's working with him in New York. Maybe there's something we're missing. But it's definitely – he's not shooting the same shot every time. Like, I'd be willing to bet if we went back through the film, we would find several different types of jumpers and releases. Yeah, but at least – and I think where the difference – one, it's not as fundamentally broken as Fultz's is. Secondly, there's a willingness to shoot, which is – I think that I think that's good and it's important, even though it's not where it needs to be right now. I'd rather him be taking open shots than being scared to take them. Oh, 100%. I mean, this is a conversation you you and I have had like on Twitter and in Slack and on other occasions about like the Ben Simmons debate, the honest debate. Like, I think even if you have a busted jumper, you you have to shoot like Marcus Smart is a horrible horrible three-point shooter until this season uh, well until this season i think i think him and russ were like the statistical worst three-point shooters on high volume coming into this year i forgot where they're at now but the point is you have to even if you're bad you have to keep taking them they have to know that there's the threat of it because that's going to get them to bite and pump or overplay like We've seen how many screenshots of like Ben Simmons gameplay where they just pay zero attention to him at the three point line and drop all the way back and load the paint up. Like that's gonna happen if you aren't taking the shot. So I I like that Dennis is still shooting. I think that's the right thing to do. But I just wish he would kind of go back to what he was doing in Dallas and just stick to one kind of thing. It almost looks like he's aiming it. You know when you're in a slump and and you just aim your shots a little bit. You think you could fix it. Everything's going like off to the right. And you're just like, oh, I'll just throw it a little bit farther to the left. But that's not how shooting works. It's supposed to be 
you know, just naturally. You're not supposed to think about anything. Ball comes to you, or you're pulling up, and it's just you know what to do already. If you have to think about it, you've gone too far. And I, again, I don't know what's happening with him. I don't know if this is intentional or otherwise, but it just looks like he's overthinking and trying to aim when he's shooting. Yeah, I th- and it sticks out most on the free throws. Yeah, and I think one three today was I tweeted it out, and I tweeted it with the caption of like "just end the season." Was it the one where he hit just the side of the backboard? No, it was. It was well, it hit like the <laughs> bottom of the front of the rim, like, and he was dead, like straight on. He was straight, hey, he was straight on. Was, was there also one where he was a little to the left that he hit just the complete side of the backboard, or was that of the corner of my eye? Was it just the one that you're talking about right now? I, when I just I missed think, like that. I think it was the one I was talking about. I didn't notice another one, but the way he's been shooting the three since he got here, I, I'm also not going to say you're wrong. So maybe somebody uh, could comment and let us know. <laughs> what is, I'm trying to see, is 3.%. 27% from three on 3.7 attempts per game. Why you do that, I want to start talking about Mitch. And one stat that I saw, I mean, we're going to gush about him as always real quick, but... Um, one stat that I saw that the MSG broadcast brought up today, I, I thought it was a little bit nuts. I tweeted it out from the TKW account. It makes perfect sense. Like, I'm going to say it, and you guys are going to go, yeah, of course. But, like, when you see this stat or hear this stat, like, to me, it has some shock value anyway. So, per MSG, Mitchell Robinson has only taken one shot outside of the paint this season. Um, he made that shot. It was from the mid-range area on the right you know, behind the right block. So in the season, he's 131 of 187 total. That's 70%. And um, all except one of those, so 186 shots have come inside the paint. Which, you know, obviously, but when, 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 you see it's just, when you see just one, that always throws me off. You just made me think of something. I bet you I can come up with another really good Mitch stat right here. Okay. All right. It's also going to be about the type of shots he takes. So so while you do that, I'm just going to, you know, a couple of weeks ago when me and Brian had that debate, or last month I think it was, about who their best rookie was, I wasn't ready to give it to Mitch yet because he was still fouling. Like he's done a trip, like instant, like both things that I complained about, he's cleaned up immediately. I was like, Brian, I, I think you're right, like with the impact, but I need to see him, one, stay on the floor, just period, like, I can't feel comfortable calling him that when he's barely available for the games because of foul trouble. And two, I was like, he needs to start getting some rebounds. And then it just he just woke up one day after the KP trade and just decided that he was going to stop fouling and also get 10-plus rebounds a game pretty regularly. So uh, anything that I had in that debate, despite Trier balling out now, doesn't really stand because when when you are impacting the game on both ends – the way he is right now, I mean, it's it's tough to top. I mean, he had that six blocks quote from, I think it was early last week. And I, I, my favorite part was how nobody laughed at it. You know, I think normally that kind of quote would be like, oh, you know, that's a, that's a lot. That's a lot. And we're all just like, yeah, kind of. I mean, he's getting three in like 18 minutes a night. So, yeah, yeah, I could see six. And then that first night he got six. Why his I don't know why his goals are so low. Someone, someone brought up about if he could, you know, get to like ten blocks, and I, I think he could do it in a game. The way he hunts them, per game, 
Like, I don't think he could average it per game. Like, 10 is ridiculous. Nobody's going to do that. But I think he could get to 10. Like, I wouldn't be surprised. This is almost going to sound wild, but I think he could do it a couple times in his career. Like, he's good at it, and he hunts it. That's my that's my logic. Like, he's going he's gonna to do it one game when he has, like, 7 or 8. Because he already set the rookie record with 9. So I don't think saying he can get 10 a couple times is outlandish. The way he hunts them, I think that's sort of a given he's going to get there. He better not get traded. I just spent $175, $180 on an authentic jersey of his. Do you got the city or the blue? Just the regular blue. They, I couldn't find the city anywhere, and I just gave up, and I was like, screw it. I found that one on eBay. It, wa- it wasn't even like they sold it on the Knicks team site. It was just a single jersey that was on eBay. Okay. Yeah, that's tough. But um, he's, he's... I can't find the city jerseys anywhere, man, outside of no, Cape the, the, the city jer- Being the, that honest, we did a Christmas giveaway for somebody, and we were trying to get them a city jersey. And I delayed sending this, you know, gentleman his jersey because I was trying. I thought like I thought I was missing something because he asked for a city uh, edition with the not with Knox, and I was like, of course the Knicks are going to have their lottery picks jersey and city like of of course they are you know what i mean so i'm looking it up on like the msg store and and i'm not seeing it i didn't go in person i think it could have been there if i went in person but i'm like looking online i don't see anything so i checked the nba store i don't see anything i checked the nba store europe because that's where our friend was so i checked maybe they had a different one there nothing so i was like what the fuck so like let me just see what city edition jerseys they have period this was when kp was still there first of all too so it was just kp I was like, what the, he's not even fucking playing. What are we doing here? So like, fine. So then um, I put it off and then right when the, cause then the trade deadline happened and the AD stuff happened and I didn't want to, you know what I mean? So um, I think he ended up settling and said, you know what? I'll get the KP jersey in the city edition and we'll just call it a day. And then like three days later, the trade happened and thankfully I didn't, I didn't order the jersey. And then, uh, then he just got a Knox blue. You know, and then that was it, and we called it a day, and we're square. But I don't know why. For this is going to sound like uh, Knicks entitlement, like big market entitlement. But I don't know how you could be like the Knicks and then not offer more players. You know, especially when your whole shtick was look at all these kids that are going to be really good one day. You think you'd make their jerseys a little bit more available? So I don't know what the deal is quite with that, but hopefully they can amend that moving forward. So a uh, thing I found on eBay, I don't know how they're getting made or who's make or how fake they are. Probably but you fair. can you can absolutely a hundred percent buy an Allen Houston or Latrell Sprewell City jersey. Oh, that's got to be just breathtakingly fake. Like they they look okay in the pictures. You know, I kind of uh... spree. I kind of want to get the Sprewell one. I'm just trying to finish collecting my 90s Knicks set. Like, I have Ewing, obviously. I have Starks. I have Camby. I have Houston. Uh, I just got a Larry. I like to find the champion ones, so it's more authentic to the time. But yeah. Larry Johnson, I had to settle for Mitchell and Ness, which is obviously a beautiful, beautiful jersey. But um, I need to get Spreewell now. Spreewell... Um, Maybe get the Spreewell Spreewell City jersey. I I won't do it. I I, I need to have. I I already know. I need to have the blue one with the black on the side, the uh, the black trim. I I need to have that, or it's not going to feel right. What about the white one? The white one's fine. The white one. I I just. uh, I'm not big on white jerseys. Like I I own a bunch, especially for Knicks ones. 
But I'd like to have the the road jerseys if I can get them. I like having the team color be like present, you know. All right, coming up next for the Knicks as we wrap up this podcast. It's a uh, oh, it's a four game week. All, wow. all West Coast, all West Coast. No one was Saturday is not. Oh, my Kings are coming to town. The game, the game. So you get to watch the Kings twice. They play. So when you're listening to this, it will be ten, the Kings are on tonight. They're at Phoenix on Wednesday. We already kind of discussed that because I'll be there. Saturday, they host the Kings, and Sunday, they're at the Timberwolves. Yeah. You excited? I, How, well, what are you doing to celebrate this week? Well, I'm actually going to the Kings game on Saturday. Um, I was trying to wait and see my finances a little bit, but I don't want to... I don't want to miss the Kings when they're playing really well, and I don't want to miss um, De'Aaron Fox, who I'm, I'm very you know public supporter of. So um, I, I bit the bullet. I, Stone is also going. My my social uh, assistant here, he, he's also going to be present at that game. I'm going to try to see if we can get a credentialed uh, person there as well. That'd be nice. But we're going to have a couple people in the stands, so we're going to. We're gonna see. I mean, Dennis Smith versus um, Fox two times in one week should be exciting. I'm hoping. Is it? It's still expensive to get a seat to those games on StubHub against the Kings. Oh, oh yeah. I just spent. I mean, it was like ninety. It was, it was about a hundred dollars to go to get a, a. I'm in section one twenty. So if anybody's okay, is that a decent seat? You could have gotten it upstairs for like thirty bucks. Yeah, I probably could have. So okay. just uh, real quick, just for everybody listening. Uh, if you're not going to the game, go. Find us in Section 120. I may or may not have some goodies that I'm going to try to give away. Um, not a ton, but for a couple of you. So we'll see what happens. But um, find us, Section 120. I think I'm in row – one of us is in row 22. One of us is in row – I'm in 15, I think. So just just come find us. Come by 120. Uh, we'll, we'll hang out. We'll, we'll talk. We'll do something. But uh, – that's what I'm doing to celebrate. So I I look forward to the West Coast games. Like when they have these trips, it's sad because I always look forward to them, but they're never good. So they go out there and get gobsmacked every time. But I don't know. Hopefully they they honestly I don't want, I don't want to see them go to Phoenix and lose to the Suns. I'm sorry if they have to go visit you guys and then that they take a, a gross L like the Lakers took the other night. I I, I would just I prefer they win. That's always super. That was super awkward. That Suns Lakers game because there was more Lakers fans in the crowd. Also, that's how sad Suns games are at this point. So the Lakers basically lost a home game to the Suns. I just don't. I don't get it with the Suns. Like I think, I think we're at a point now, and I tweeted this the other day, and I, I think you would a hundred percent agree with me. I think it's it's pretty fair and about time uh, that we discuss the Suns being the by far obvious choice for the worst run franchise in the league. Like I don't think that's groundbreaking. I think they're just very obviously the worst run team right now. The Cavs lost LeBron James twice. This is true. This is true. Uh, in fairness, I only really blame them for the first one. If the but say that owner wasn't a douche and he got along with LeBron through the years, maybe LeBron doesn't leave. 
It's possible, but they put together some really shit teams that first time. That's oh, what, yeah. That's what I'm saying. The first time, I don't know. Even if the, he was buddy-buddy, I don't know if that would have been enough. So I think that first time, like, just from, like, team building, you know, let alone anything else that happened behind the scenes, I just think the first time, I think they were 100% going to lose him. I just think he knew how great he was and how desperately he needed a title quickly. And I just think no matter what, he was going to he was going to be gone somewhere. But the, but the second time, if they were cool, it, I could have seen him staying. No, I I think I I can be talked into that because especially now, just seeing the way he's approached this season, and when he, my whole thing was last summer when the rumors to LA for LeBron were happening. I kept saying, "There's no way that's going to happen. There's no way he just." They just maneuvered the last four years in Cleveland and, and really, I mean, pulled out all the stops to try to, like, keep them a contender. They traded half the team last season at the trade deadline to get him new teammates as, like, a last-ditch effort to make the finals, which they did. And um, I was just like, there's no way. This guy goes through all this effort every year to just get back to the finals, and he's just going to give it up to go to the Lakers unless they're, they're going to they're gonna gut the team and, and you know, start fresh. And I I think that was the plan, but then when they botched it, I mean, it just seems like he's he's perfectly content. Just like, hey man, I got Space Jam two coming out. Uh, I got the shop. I've got several. I, I think he was just an A and R on Two Chains last album that just released or is about to release. It, I mean, it, yeah, you're it's out. It's, and you're right. So I, I mean, at this point, I just think he was just like, hey, this whether or not he stayed in Cleveland, like I just think he just was shifting to. Well, my work here is done. Like, so I, I don't know. I, I think I could have seen him staying in Cleveland and doing most of the same stuff, but it, I, I don't know. I just think when you look at the Suns, like, it's just always, like, strangely and needlessly toxic. Like, they're sort of irrelevant now. Um, and even still, they they just have this, like, toxi- toxicity to them where they're just, like, you don't get why a team that's that bad would be so like rotting from the inside out, like from Sarver, you know, every time you read something about him or that team, it just makes my skin crawl. Like, I don't get how you could be that bad and then still drive like such a hard deal. And especially since there's actually like a decent amount of talent on the team, like Bridges, Aiden, Booker, TJ Warren, Kelly, Kelly Oubre isn't a slouch either, but Kelly Oubre, like that's, I'm not saying that they're a 40-win team, and granted, they are very young and it's hard to win games when all the dudes are that young. I still don't think that amount of talent should be a 12, 13-win team. It's more in the mid-20s to early 30s would have been a more appropriate number for that team to win. Yeah, and I I agree with you too. And I was going to say, even out west, where we know how wild it is this this year especially, but to me, like... Yeah, like you, you shouldn't have the same amount of wins as like, like this Knicks roster makes perfect sense why they have the amount of wins that they do, you know, like it, it honest to God makes sense. Like we knew they weren't going to have KP. We do around twenty ish wins, twenty to twenty five is where I saw a lot of the guesses. Some people were a little lower, under twenty, but you, you knew what you were getting, right? And the Suns, like, if if the Knicks were to have like a Devin Booker, and then they got the number one pick, and it, it was eight, and like. I, I would be bullish on that team. Like, they should be better. Like, I'm, only, I'm trying to think about if that roster was in New York and, like, Fisdale had them. Like, we'd be calling for his head, I'm sure. 
you know, like how, how is he? How is he not maximizing them even a little bit more? Igor's head. I'm, I can't pronounce his last name, but his head has been called for very much out here, even though it's his first year as coaching. That's exactly what's happened. And like you said, like they, they were never going to be a great team, but they just—it's a low bar. But they simply should not be like this bad. That's strange. Exactly. All right. Anything the Knicks wall related that we need to get out there? Um, just, uh, just keep following us. We got, we got a really big summer ahead of us and, uh, you know, both as TKW, but also as just Knicks fans in general and the, the actual franchise. I just think we're all, uh, whether or not the fun things happen, I, I know that we're all going to have a hell of a time discussing it and talking about it. And you guys have been really just a trip on Twitter lately from, the TKW account or otherwise, or in our comments or replies. So uh, just stay engaged. I mean, that's normally we have like plugs and shit at this point, and I'm shamelessly throwing things at you, but just stay engaged with us. It's a lot of fun being able to sort of clock in with you guys every day and, and shoot the shit with what is the worst team in the NBA right now. You know, not a lot of fan bases have such an expansive, you know, following to do that with. So I'm very thankful for it. Just, you know, hoping we remember how engaged and active we are now while everything is doom and gloom, and hopefully we get some good news this summer. We could all just really have a blast after that. So just, you know, thank you, and let's just keep it up. All right, that is another edition of the Knicks Wall Podcast. All right, take it easy, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>